This is the way you gotta live your life. Pick up the book and understand it to survive. And analyze your problems without being blind. Welcome to Ascend Your Podcast. Got me and Julian. About to break it down for y'all. We got election day in a couple days, so you know what the hell. We'll have a couple other things to fill in the time. You know, help your car ride to work or however the hell you're listening to us. We appreciate it. Yeah, 100 views recently, isn't it? Yes. We just hit 120 listens. You know, it's given us extra motivation. We really appreciate it. We've got some more. We're going to keep working. We've got some more interviews coming. We're going to keep working hard for you guys. We appreciate the support. It's only going to get better. Yes, sir. We get better every week. Some, sometime soon we'll get you another bathtub episode for the people who enjoy it. The people's champ, Ryan Henry, baby. If you haven't listened to it, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely don't. But that means go listen. That's when Ryan Henry is the wisest. When he's drunk in a bathtub. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the flooded bathroom the next morning wouldn't agree, but, you know, wins and losses, you got to take them. Hey, you got to roll with the punches. And I know if there's anybody that can, that's you. Oh, if it's anybody, it's the American people. It's hey, you ain't going to be rough. You ain't wrong about that. You ain't wrong about that. Who the hell knows when we're actually going to get the results? That's the thing with this election, right? There's never, there hasn't been an election in recent memory in America where the results, either than both uh, in two, the year 2000s, where the results are going to be so highly contested because yeah, what, of mail voting. Am I wrong? What's that? Didn't that, um, didn't that end up being settled in the Supreme Court? You're right. No, you're right. It did. That was more of an issue of counting at one specific location, whereas this is like questioning the overall legitimacy of all mail-in voting, like across the country, you know? I think it, I don't know. I feel like that's where there's just too much politics at play for this, for something so simple. Like, I got my mail-in ballot, um... In the mail, like, I never requested one. I just got one in the mail. Right. And I I, I was going to fill it. I did fill it out. I just never turned it in. Um, And the more I just he- kept hearing negativity about it, I was like, you know, I'll just fucking vote in person. Yeah. Because I don't know who the hell I'm voting for. It's not Trump. Um, I'm st- I was planning on doing it the last couple of days, but, you know, alcohol. <laughs> That's the best early riser. But I'm still back and forth between third party and Joe Biden. I was just going to ask you, I think there's a lot of people in your same position. And so what is your thought process going into? Like, why is it for you? Why do you feel like you want to vote for Joe Biden? And why do you want to vote third party? Like, what what's making you... Undecisive on between the two. Um, the thing that makes me undecisive on or unfavorable to Joe Biden is Joe Biden. He's like Hillary Clinton. Like he's got the political career of a corrupt politician. 
Goes with the wind, has no backbone, in it for the money. I, I don't think he has any principles he stands by. He just goes with what makes him look like a good guy. I, I mean, I was a little harsh on Hillary Clinton 2016 because I was a big Bernie guy. And this, the first election, I actually really got not involved. If you were at a bar with me, you'd say I was pretty involved. but like first one i really got passionate about hillary clinton just seemed like another hog in the machine it's not going to beat trump and i said this when we had 20 democrats on the first debate like you can't do this again like you had 20 people and you picked the most I don't, I'm not, I don't want to say career, career politician up there. Yeah. And like the, the reason some people, I'd like to say most, but I think we're far from that point now. I don't think people are looking for, you know, the outsider as much of a, destroy, I don't know. I don't know what people see in Trump. I do and I don't. It, it's tough because I get it, you know. But would your opinion, would your opinion of that changes if, if Biden wins? Is it just another example of how we're underestimating the value of a career politician? Having, or is it just the result of a two-party system? I think it's a result of a two-party system. And I, I really don't know if the Republican Party is split. One thing I feel like Biden might have been a good pick for is that, you know, if you just want to go back to normalcy where you don't really hear about everything wrong in the country every day, mm-hmm. you know, just go back to when you just got the bitch about the small things. Yes. I, I can see the Republican Party or the right being in, like, a swing vote for that. I don't know if Joe Biden is really there for that because like I started with this, like the guy goes where the wind is blowing. I hate to say it as a former big Bernie guy. Like I don't like how much far left ideas are in the democratic party right now. I support healthcare for all. It's just getting there. I don't know if I trust these people to get us there. Mm, that's fair. That's fair. I, I believe in the free market and capitalism. Mm-hmm. I, I believe socialism can work. It's about the people making it work that will make it work. Sure as hell don't trust Trump for it. Granted, I, I might have felt safer in Trump's economy than Bernie's because I at least lived through four years of Trump's. Give me tax cuts and just a later cri- a crisis we'll deal with later. Rather than, you know, burning, burning the shit out of all the stockholders, we're going to have some bumpy roads right when he starts. Absolutely. I, I just, I know, to me, at this point, it's not, I would consider voting Republican if it wasn't Trump. Because to me, this is more about leadership. And 
I hate to sound cliche, but when we talk about when we talk about Trump as a leader, what we're really talking about who what are Trump's objectives and who is he hiring around him? And you don't need to look very far. It's not about what he believes in. It's how he executes those beliefs. And with the way he conduct, conducts his businesses, the way he conducts himself, it's all about him. And how does that translate into government? Well, you're not going to be very particularly efficient about the common well-being of, of like your, the policies that you set aren't always going to be for the common well-being of everybody. And I know that sounds cliche, but in just the way that the coronavirus is being ha handled and the public health, the public good, the way he even talks about these things, um, it's always about me. It's about how well I've handled it. It's about how well blah, 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 blah. And it just doesn't set good policies when it's coming from that kind of individualistic pers uh, perspective. And that feeds into foreign policy, economic policy. Like, I get it, there are some things that he might stand for that are good, but I think I want good leadership from whichever side. And from Trump's side, I just don't see good leadership at all, in my opinion. I had a couple thoughts going into that. I'm trying to decide which one. Yeah. Um, I mean, the all about him thing kind of goes right in line with his campaign slogan. Like, kind of the isolationist leader we haven't had in a while. Like, fuck everyone else, let's make us great. Which, you know, there's... You can go back and forth on that. I believe we should be to a point, mostly, I don't even think no, there is a benefit to isolationism, but there's definitely a downside to it. Sure. Like, we weren't a superpower when we were, I, I mean, we were a superpower to Central and Southern America that we're invading, but we weren't an actual superpower until we were... Was it World War One or Two that we're? I think it was World War Two that we were finally in that game. Towards the end, not at the not yeah. at the beginning. Yeah. And prior to that, I'm going to say we were isolationist slash imperialists. <laughs> yeah. You can't really be isolating yourself if you're invading other countries. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. I mean, look, just like the way he talks about foreign policy, he's always like, it's always, it comes down to, well, we're paying this much. You should be paying more. Like, government isn't about necessarily always about how much something costs. It's about, yes, we contribute the most to the WHO, the World Health Organization, but because of the WHO, there's no more polio in the world. That's, a, that's, a, that's in the interest for everybody including the United States, for polio not to exist. So it's not about the money always. It's, it's about other things. It's about other values that we stand for. And there's a lot of truth in that. Like, yes, America has made a lot of mistakes in its imperialistic uh, history. But there's many great examples of the WHO, the UN, NATO, uh, when we helped rebuild Europe after World War II. Uh, protecting the South China Sea, like the logistical support our military and Marines give across the world in, in times of crisis, pandemics, Ebola. So and everything's not about money, you know, and he keeps talking about, well, the European government doesn't contribute right. enough. Well, that's, that's true. 
I think everything in this world is about money. Yes, but is when we find when we okay, but when we when we founded the WHO, is it about money? I'd have to do a little reading, but probably. How, we contribute ninety five, like oh, not ninety five percent, but. Say we put in five million a year, that's that's a big hit. Um, this is all I'm making up these stats. Say we're putting five million in a year. Say we don't have the WHO to help us during a health crisis. How much money would it cost us in the end if we didn't have any preparation towards the say five million a year? I'm not following. Say that again. Pretty much. I'm trying to say, like, you know, it kind of is about money, even though you're spending money that you're not getting a direct return on yet. Putting that money into WHO will give you more money when you need WHO. Because if you didn't have WHO, it would hurt you so much worse than if mm, you weren't okay. five mil a year into it. You know, after 10 years, 50 million, that's a big hit. But looking at, how bad COVID hit us, and I hate to downplay it, it's not as bad as a disease can be. No, like polio. Right, polio would, if we had Trump during then, (laughs) I mean, but remember, though, polio during the 50s and 60s, like, it was in the U.S. Yeah, shout out to Brother Mike from St. Pat's. He had that shit and survived. Did he really? I could yeah. be wrong with polio. No, I mean, it was prevalent. Like, it wasn't a pandemic, but it was prevalent. But, like, we as a society, or the United States at, the, at its time, decided we need a World Health Organization. And we, we created this organization specifically built or geared towards pandemics, virus outbreaks, putting resources towards an international coalition to deal with these issues. And to set an international standard. So it's not, I get what you're saying. Like, yes, everything is about money. But when you're creating policy and government, yes, you worry about budgets and those things matter. But it's not the primary, like, you're not, your policy outcome isn't, like, how much you're getting out of it financially. It's, you are looking at other, other objectives. And I'm, I'm, who are we talking about? Us? Sure, we'd, we'd be out for the common good, but I feel like the people that are actually in it, they, like, you know, say Johnson & Johnson, you're a CEO. You have a choice of selling a cheap, life-saving medicine or a moderately, like, you know, a medicine that'll dampen down the uh, symptoms and make you a ton of money. As a CEO, what are you going to do? Okay, going to go for human or profit. We're not those aren't the only players when it comes to that game. There's the national health there's other the other institutions that are in that game. The National Health Institution, American Cancer Society, Doctors Without Borders, there's plenty of other institutions at place. Like yes, there're always going to be there're always going to be companies that their primary objective is making profits, but there's plenty of other institutions uh, at play, even even in government, that that's not their primary objective. And that's why Trump's coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
Fair enough. <laughs> Which you know, is why I don't want to vote. It's part of a one of those small stances that not a small stance he took, but one of the things I can somewhat agree on is you know we we do pay a lot to NATO for security, and I think that was for a reason. We're trying to fucking make sure it wasn't a communist continent. Like, how many fucking lives do we waste in Vietnam just to make sure they didn't have that small island? Supporting your allies and making sure your enemies don't take over is too much of a hit? Well, I kind of just talked myself into my own corner there. (laughs) So I I understand, like, um, I'm saying, you know, like, We've been the sugar daddy to NATO all this time. It's time for you motherfuckers to pay up. Pay your share. There's also a point where, like, you're the ones that wanted this, America. (laughs) We're fine with taking Soviet money and letting our population die off. But you wanted us to have democracy. This is where I would say where we don't always see the trade-offs. Like... That kind of influence, for example, we underestimate the economic benefits that we might receive, that we receive from such influence, such as the power we hold at, at the table internationally when it comes to international sanctions. Because of the power that we give, we have a lot more power when it comes to international sanctions. And it doesn't just apply for Iran, but it also applies for Hey, when our maybe um, on an economic level where, where certain companies are cheating the game, like Huawei, like we got Western countries to side with us on Huawei to protect our own businesses or protect our own civilians from the Chinese government only because Canada or decided to arrest the one of the directors of Huawei. Like we get so many benefits that we don't talk about because of that influence, whether it's on a security level, economic level, it's a very importing cars, importing goods, importing drugs, like the drugs we might get from Europe. There's like so many other things we don't think about that come from that influence. It's not just intelligence is massive. Go back to um, when Trump pulled us out of, was it, did we fuck over the Kurds in Syria or Iraq? No, we fucked them in Syria. Okay. Like, that, that was our main ally. That was... America wasn't... I mean, we were there with um, operators and shit, training. And we did have people in battlefields and shit. But the main soldiers and fighters on our side were the Kurds. We just totally turned our fucking back on them. Who, who the fuck would take our... I don't know, it goes back to, like, who would trust us, and why do you get shocked when the terrorist groups we supported are now terrorist groups that want to kill us? And you make a good point, Ryan, because, uh, like, having a lot of Kurdish friends, that's one of the first things they said was, like, yes, like, Saddam Hussein uh, committed genocide against war, ISIS. Uh, they, they were our number one ally because they were the ones actually doing the fighting like and stopping these terrorists and saving a lot of people. Um, and one thing we also don't think about, like when you go to Kurdistan, 
in northern Iraq. Like they talk, the Kurdish people talk about this all the time. All the oil companies in northern all American oil companies that are taking the oil from northern Kurdistan. So the cheap gas that or the cheaper oil that we're getting are coming from these places. And as you say, when you turn your back on the ally, like we're going to need them again at some point in the future. And if you, they're not going to said, yeah, call. <laughs> <laughs> Do I need to edit that out? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Though? Like, I'm the, no, I'd, I'd be France in this situation. America turns its back on me and be like, all right, motherfucker. I, I can't do shit right now, but I'll wait for my opportunity. <laughs> I'm not going to start a war, but I'm not coming to your party. <laughs> <laughs> so we got, we got an election in a couple days, Ryan. Do you, do you have any final thoughts? For the last podcast before election day, like any any final thoughts that have been on your mind? I got a bunch. I'm trying to siphon through which ones I should and can say. Um, I don't like how we came down to these two decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to my original, I don't think it was original, but what we started off saying, really uncertain about either of these two winning. I'm not going to feel better knowing one of them is president and the other isn't. I'm going to get a good satisfaction for a little bit knowing Trump lost. A little nervous for this country. And I hate to sound like a Trumpster, but like I feel like Trump wins. We stay in chaos. But that's not what Trumpster will say, but this next part. Biden wins. We're going back to the deep state. I know what you mean, yeah. I, I'm, you're more on the liberal side, I would say. Like government, you'll give them more of a benefit of the doubt than I would. Would you agree to that? Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't, I don't trust the DNC or any of this shit. I forgot when we were talking about it, and you said something like, "Do we under?" the power Joe Biden had in the South. I said, no, I think we underestimated the power Joe Biden had in the DNC. The guy's been there for 47 years. You don't think he's got roots? Like, fucking, it's politics, baby. That You're not in there for 47 years clean. And the guy flip-flopped on so much. He's flip-flopped on more than Hillary has. Granted, he's had double the political career at least in the spotlight, you know, being a woman, a prominent woman <laughs> back then was kind of hey, hey, to be honest with you, I it's it's a weird thing to say, but I think Hillary Clinton is probably would do a better job than Joe Biden. Yeah, yeah, in my opinion, really don't see how you could have picked a worse one. I think Bernie would have been doing better. Twenty sixteen, I think Bernie would have swept election 2020 i mean i was a big bernie guy four years ago and now i don't even know if i feel safe about it right if i had to vote right now and it was bernie versus no doubt i'd pick bernie over trump but the only 
one I of all the twenty people that were up there for a Democratic debate, the first one, I think Andrew Yang would be the only one I kind of felt real safe with. I guess it goes back to what we talked, what my mom mentioned. How can, should we, and if we should, how can we make people have more choices in the election system? Because there's no question we need more, we need more choices and we need those choices to matter. I forget how you guys um, describe it over in Europe. I know you're not in Europe, but like, um, where it's like a, how do you explain it? Like, if I wanted to vote Joe Jorgensen first vote, give a nice fuck you to the Democratic Party. When she's out of the round, I can say, all right, my vote will go. If Joe Jorgensen isn't in it, my vote will go to Biden. What, what do they call that in Europe? How is their voting? I can't think of, of it off the top of my head, but it's not, it's not a winner takes all. Right. No, it's literally people come to a fucking agreement. You don't cast one vote and fight for fight about it for the next four years. Like everyone's first, second, and third choices hold it to accountability and we come up with the best one that people decided on. We should have a proportionality type system where you eliminate a two party system and you get the, the party that you vote for gets the amount of seats based on the percentage of votes that they got. Now, granted, the argument against that is that more extreme parties can get seats at the table. But, you can, but the, the thing I say to that is you have extreme, they just, the extremists just end up running in one of the two parties anyway. Yeah, how would we be in a different situation? Right now, all the, the only thing stopping an extremist from running is money. It's the only thing that's stopping most people from running. I say when one of us runs for office, we'd be the cheap motherfuckers. Absolutely. And you know what, Ryan? You want free shit? <clears throat> for, I don't know. Here's my receipt from Marathon last night. Yeah. <laughs> Many black and milds. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm not... This is a random tangent, but you know what I'm surprised with, Ryan, is that nope, somebody hasn't developed an app or something like this where a politician is more in tune with his constituents. Like, what I mean is there isn't an app or something like this where the constituents from a district, a state, whatever, can't directly communicate with the office of or be more in touch like we get the email like why hasn't there been an app or something created where the constituent is more connected to the representative do you know what i'm trying to say no i do and i can see why someone would say that's a stupid idea have you ever watched parks and rec yes say you are a rep in Chicago, and you got thousands of people in that your district that you're representing. Mm-hmm. You want all those crazy people to have direct access to you, or you just can put your email there that your fucking rep aide can cycle through. No, no, no. Like, it's, for example, it's, it's what you were saying. Those people, 
will exist. Like I worked working in the congressman office every day. I would get a call from some crazy person saying, you're a fucking crazy motherfucker, you congressman. Fuck you. Um, yeah, I say, thank you for calling, sir. Thank you for calling, miss. I will put your blah, 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 blah in the system. What I'm talking about is what if there is an app? Yes, you're going to have extremes from both ends. But like say, say there's a bill coming that I'm sponsoring. I can put in the app, what do you all think about this bill? Do you support it or do you not support it? Because how many of us know about what bills or legislation our representatives are supporting or creating? But if you had an app that directly connected you and you could vote yes or no, I support this, your representative would have a better idea of what his population wants. And secondly, he could kind of see overall the comments that might be coming without, without, the, fil without the filter from the media where they they have a tendency to shape it their own way. Like, no, here are the highlights. This is what we believe. And here's the bill. Read it for yourself. Yes or no, do you support it? And you get a better idea. More, I don't know. Maybe it's too oh, I, I see what you're saying. And it's kind of been a thought I've had before. Like, you know, kind of where I, I think voting should be as simple as something you can go on your phone and just do. My main concern is, like, security, voter fraud, and all that. Yeah. Like, if you had a government account, you're signed in as your social security. And, like, you can it's pretty much a government social media, whatever. What if you can do, like, all your thing government-wise, you add all in your one app that's connected to your social security account? My biggest... Right. It would be security, but mm -hmm. think of that can like anything that you hear what that. The fuck was that? Yeah, what was that? The wind just blew a fucking bottle of hand sanitizer. <laughs> Everyone gets their own like government app. Like you do everything you need to do. I think during COVID would have been the best time to do it. Why the fuck are we mailing yeah. it? Everyone's got internet. And Ryan, can I can I give you an example of what you're talking about? No, I don't like your opinion. Fuck you. <laughs> I was trying to think of something smart to say. <laughs> so the, there, there's one country in the world that has tested the idea of electronic voting. And um, in, in, 2000, in 2007, the country of Estonia developed internet voting in the way that you actually described it, where the Estonian internet voting system uh, uses the national identity document as well as a smart card, smart card allowing for both secure remote authentication and legally binding digital signatures by using the Estonian state-supported supported public key infrastructure. Basically, a compli com complicated way of saying everybody gets an internet key so everyone has a unique key to vote with. Right. It doesn't need to be social security number, but everybody gets a unique key. Right. I'm just in America. That's the only thing that's unique to everyone from the right. government. Everyone's got their own social. But I'm going to give you the devil's advocate, like you said about security. So the Estonian election officials praised it, that it worked, which, it, which they have used it, but it works. 
but computer, computer security experts from outside the country have reviewed the system and have voiced criticism, warning that any voting system which transmits voted ballots electronically cannot be secured. Uh, this criticism was underscored in May 2014 when a team of international computer security experts released the results of their examination of the system, claiming they could be able to breach the system, change votes and vote totals, and erase any evidence of their actions if they could install malware on their election servers. Even if it wasn't outside sources, like, if we all voted electronically, who is the one to say that, like, you know, there's really no concrete evidence there if someone else won. Like, you know, I I feel like paper ballots, the sim voting should be simple. And I think putting it on, making it very accessible is simple, but it also has, like, we both agree, security issues. Yeah. And even, we use computers in voting right now. Mm -hmm. And still bad. Like, if we're going to go computers, invest in the computer way. Yeah. Go halfway. Like, half of it is you're going to a computer booth to do it, and half of it is paper ballots. Paper ballots. Part of the solution is we should have a national voting day where that's a federal holiday, where it's a holiday where we really push everybody go to vote. And we have it as a federal holiday, like fuck Columbus Day or, or whatever day, like make a national voting day. Indigenous is People Day. You My bad. I, I forgot that we changed it. I'm, and I'm very happy and supportive of it. But back in the day when it was Columbus Day, fuck Columbus Day. And he hates everyone. <laughs> but you, do, you know, do you agree with me, though? Like we should have a national voting day? Because it's part of the accessibility issue. Not everybody is able to go, take off work or blah, blah, blah. I work in a hotel, so if you made it a federal holiday, it wouldn't affect me. Just because you make it a holiday doesn't mean nobody has work that day. Yeah. I, if you're trying to make voting more accessible, do it how we did it during COVID right now. Have early mm -hmm. for a month prior. Push that a lot more. And mail-in ballots is one thing we kind of got <laughs> stuck in this um, election talk, but I'm kind of worried what mail-in ballots are going to... I think they might delay our results. Because I... Nothing against mail-in ballots. I think there's possibility to commit uh, voter fraud any way there is a vote. Yeah, yeah. And vote. If someone's smart enough to find a way to make a fraudulent vote. I don't know why you'd waste your time. <laughs> your vote doesn't matter. <laughs> Lost for my train of thought. It's not the first time. Yeah. You, I with by you this too. time, you didn't just lose your train of thought. You've lost, you've lost the whole fucking railroad. I'm off the rails. I'm on the crazy train. <laughs> <laughs> That was a stupid reference. Fuck you. What else we got for election? We've been on this topic oh. for a minute. And polls, like, you know. Fuck the polls. Oh, jeez. I misread it. The mail-in ballot. Fuck the polls. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I'm quite sure there's still, like, I can still mail in my ballot right now. And 
be counted when we. If I mail it right now, I I can look it up right now. I'm pretty sure I can still mail it in. You can mail it in as long as it's, it's postmarked the day of the election. Right. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. I've had two months to mail that in. You mail it in two days before the election, your vote doesn't get counted. Fucking get with it. And that's... I, I hate to sound like a, someone who wants, like, poll testing or that, but, like, I know plenty of people that I don't think should vote. <laughs> if they don't know a fucking Democrat between a Republican. Like, this country's got a bad history of poll testing. But, for fuck's sake, I think you should have some IQ or some general, like, if you can't do a fill in the blanks for the Bill of Rights, you shouldn't be voting. I get, I get what you're trying to say, but I think that's part of... That's just part of democracy. Right. I, I don't want, I think it'd be better for people to have to meet standards to vote because it would get people more involved. And look at Bernie when you get more people involved. It, it may not be pretty, but you're going to get a lot more involvement. As you were saying, like, once you give the power to somebody to make that determination, they're going to swing that der- determination or they're going to question or form questions that swing. Like that's the whole idea of voter discrimination, right? Where you're asking people, you're making that determination based on how you decide. And not everybody's going to be balanced or fair about how they make that determination. Like voter ID cards or it's the same thing to me. Like, People are going to use that to their advantage to exclude other groups so that their group wins. Do you know what right. I'm trying to say? Like, we both went to college, so we have a little more... We, we grew up on the north side of the country, and we went to college. So we have a... We probably learned about Civil War and all that, like, about 18 times. <laughs> Every year we learn about that shit. Locally, learning is much different. So how are you going to say, like, the way you learn shit from school is the right way and what they learned is, like, who's to say uh, history is up to debate all the time? I I think a good example of that, Ryan, is, like, creationism. I think it's, like, we're not even going to get into it. But in Kentucky, places like Kentucky and Tennessee, like, they've taken out of evolution and decided we want creationism from how we interpret the Bible to say the earth is 6,000 years old and evolution doesn't exist. It's fucking stupid, but we can't be telling people what the right way to learn is always. I hate that. I think we need these kids learning about evolution, but I can't go into somebody's house and tell them this is how you need to parent. Oh, Show me that house. I'll go there for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and have a happy meal. <laughs> you didn't watch any of the debate, did you? I didn't watch any of the debate. I did not. I apologize to the listeners. It's no problem. But one of my favorite lines, and I'm not going to quote this directly because I didn't write it down, but there's at one point Joe Biden saying, 
I don't see red or blue states where I'm gonna be president. However, it's the red states that are messing this corona up. I was like, right when I heard it, I was like, dude, you just said you don't see blue or red states, and then you went to blame the red states. <laughs> come on, man. As you would say, come on, man. <laughs> come on, man. All right, we're gonna put that sound bite in there. Yes, I got you. We got you. I hate the ride on Joe Biden again, but maybe you got a more historical context than me, but did we have a good relationship with Hitler before World War II? Um, we, had a, we had a cordial relationship. I can't tell you the context of it, but we were more isolationist back then. So we, we did have a relationship with them. I don't know the extent of that relationship. Probably like trades and that. Yeah, like it was, especially before World War II, definitely we had a relationship with them, yes. Maybe it was World War One, but I feel like we were funding both of them, just Germany a lot less. Mm. We would have to look that up. I don't, I don't want to misquote myself, but, but just based on logic, we definitely had a relationship with Hitler before World War II, yes. Okay. Well, what, what was the point he was trying to make? So he was going in on... Um... Trump being friends with um, authoritarian uh, dictators around the world. Trump yeah. was like, you, you and Obama couldn't even get a sit-down with Kim Jong-un. He didn't like you guys. Um, he'd sit down and talk to me. He was pretty much saying, like, being friendly with dictators isn't a bad thing. You can go back and forth on that. I like, disagree, but go ahead. You disagree. Yeah. It's no, always I definitely see that. Like as Biden was saying, like you were validating him and his regime. One hundred percent. Right. Yes. But also like how long have we been stuck on this North Korea issue? And I feel like we've had the same stance the whole time. We're not gonna talk to them until they meet our standards. Well, to be fair. The Bush administration, the Obama, like we're giving Trump too much credit because what Trump has done isn't different, that different from previous administrations. Meaning, yes, Trump met with King Jong-un, but what has been the result of it? There hasn't been any results. If anything, we've only lost because it's validating his regime. But he hasn't backed off his nuclear weapons. He hasn't backed off on making the North Korean people suffer. He hasn't backed off from anything that he's doing. And how much he gets from that validation from the United States government on his own cabal and his own regime, just from having that meeting with the president of the United States, like that gives him a lot of validation even in his own regime. And we haven't gotten well, any- Does he need more validation in his own regime? Absolutely he does. Does he? Sure. Is that possibility a coup, but I kind of figured that it's kind of a lockdown situation. It is, but like you, as, as a North Korean regime, you hope to have a positive relationship with the United States because of its influence. Like there's a lot of sanctions on North Korea. So like North Korean officials, North Korean goods, oil, all those kinds of things are more positive. Like Trump might be willing to give them back off on some of those sanctions. 
Uh, but the result has been the same. Obama in Russia. Like, you fuck off for a little bit during this election year. I'll help you out. And that's what I was going to say with, uh, like, Obama has, his administration went into North Korea and they pursued these talks. They they really did try. Same thing with the Bush. It's just that we're not, deal we're not dealing with a normal regime here. So we're giving Trump too much credit on this. This may not be the right word, but prerequisites. You know, you got to come to terms before we meet you. Like they had the, Biden even said this, like we said, we're not coming to talk until you want to discuss your um, downgrading nuclear weapons. Yes. To do that. That's the stance we have to take. But what does that solve? Not voting for how Trump went about it, but what I'm saying is Trump's doing something different than I want. I don't know if any president has really done. I don't think any presidents really want to talk to dictators that much. As dirty as it looks and sounds, like could just be a positive thing. Like you know, just talking down the crazy person. You don't yeah. have to. Have with what the crazy person says like a fucking hostage negotiator you're not gonna get the motherfucker a helicopter to get out of here it doesn't hurt to mention that you're gonna bring a helicopter and to get him out of here yep but i think i get what you're saying but why do we why why do we and our allies are why are we so hard for the north koreans not to have a nuclear weapon. Why is our stance so hard on that? Right? And because it's in everybody's interest, not just in North Korea. A country that is declared you as an enemy that's going after the most destructive weapon we know on this earth. Yeah. Pretty frightening thought. I don't know. Like, as I'm saying, I don't think Trump did the right thing, but he did something different. And what we have been doing hasn't given us results. Granted, we haven't been bombed by a nuclear bomb. So I guess we have something going for us. But this might, the last two years, probably first two years, I can remember that every spring we don't go through North Korea fright uh, thing. Training is all the headline is for a month or two straight. Except for the part where Trump threatened to obliterate North Korea. Yes, I said the last two years. First two years were a little... <laughs> when you have the President of the United States slash Supreme Commander of the United States military saying, I'm going to obliterate another country, that's also unprecedented. On Twitter, that is also unprecedented. And I do not think... Hey, and you know what? The sad thing is... That probably got him so many more votes. And honestly, someone wants to fuck with America and threaten it with nuclear detonation. You know how I roll. You threaten me with something, you better expect it right back. Sure. And, th and I think that's why when it comes to nuclear weapons, even chemical weapons, I get what you're saying, that he did something different, and that's fine. And uh, criticize every administration's approach to North Korea. Absolutely. Not just Trump. Yeah. Easily. Very easily. Because there hasn't been results. But when you're dealing with a regime like that, we have to have a hard stance on nuclear weapons. Like, if you're not going to, that's a non-negotiable. Always. And we should keep it. 
maybe our approaches can be a little bit different, but they're so unpredictable. We're not dealing with the normal situation here. And everybody, please, when you're out there, like, look, read some of these books that are out there about people that have escaped from North Korea. Like, it is unimaginable suffering that those people are going through. And I think the United States, we have, we have a record of standing for human rights. And I think we should keep that stance with them. Like, no, non-nuclear weapons are non-negotiable. And take care of your people, man. They're, they're starving, literally. Um, but you can criticize every administration's approach. So, yes, I'll criticize Trump, but we can criticize every administration because there hasn't been results. You're right about that. Yeah, I, I don't know what you should do with North Korea, but having a person that's nuttier than Kim Jong-un might have been the answer to him. I don't know how Kim Jong-un feels, but I was pretty confident that Trump was not lying when he say he'd obliterate North Korea. I don't know North Korea that well besides what I've read, but like, I feel like their main goal is to stay in power, not destroy the U.S. For sure. Granted, we bomb the fuck out of them. They can still launch a nuke or two at us. Because they got so much underground and mountain shit. I don't think that's what their main goal is. China influence, they'd be like, yeah, we'll fucking die as long as we can nuke America. Yeah, and I mean, let's not forget the Korean War. I mean, that wasn't that long ago. Like, how many of our troops died? The 60s. Yeah, like how many of our troops died uh, during that war that hasn't been declared over yet? You know, we, we easily forget about the Korean War, I think. Overshadowed by Vietnam. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think, that, I think America was on the right side that time. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't agree with the Vietnam War, but I, it's hard to say, hard to like point a finger for Vietnam War. Like the ongoing of it, yeah, that was shit. But the start of it, like I can see the good intentions. Also, the imperialistic intentions of the Vietnam War. For sure. Like, the Red Scare was, and still somewhat is, today relevant. Look at Poland. Hey, you know, Polish people talk about it all the time, man. Like, like the Polish government... Communist regime 22 years ago. Like, I, like, we were alive when the Polish government first got its own government. Like, think about it. Well, no, the communist regime fell in what, 93 in Poland? Oh, I, I thought I read it was 89. My bad. Yeah, like, like, Polish, like, that stuff, we forget how new that is in Eastern Europe. Like, yeah, they, Poland like, was almost as old as us when it was taken down. Yeah, and Poland wasn't in the, even on the map for like the 50s and 60s and shit, man. Like, we we for we take for granted the international liberal system that we have today. But anyway, what else you got in the election? Let's wrap that shit up. Who do you think's gonna win? Well, fuck the polls, but I do think Biden will win. I think Trump's gonna take it. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised either way, but it's gonna be close. That was another thing. Um, earlier we had. Not this episode. Um, I want to say earlier in the week we were talking about um, when we were talking about the polls. 
We had mentioned the asylum voters for Trump. Do you think there's a, it's not very talked about, you think there's asylum voters for Biden? Like Republicans that didn't stand by Trump in 2016, but they're still Republicans and they just don't want it anymore. You don't hear about any Republicans really for Biden. For one, that shows our, the polarization of our country where you're scared to publicly announce in your own uh, party who you're voting for based on the repercussions. But I think there's more secret Trump voters than there are secret Biden voters. Yeah, I can agree to that. I I was just thinking earlier today, like, um, when I was thinking about the silent Trump voters, I was like, you know, it'll probably come to a decision once I'm at the polls, maybe tomorrow, when I either punch Joe Jorgensen or Biden. I don't know, depending on where you are. Even, I'm in Chicago, and I don't feel good about saying I want to vote for Biden. I feel like that's not a good sign because in 2016, it was no problem for people to say they're voting for Hillary Clinton. And no, they, there wasn't. They can give you reasons why they're voting for Clinton. Besides, I don't like Trump. That, that's actually fair, Trump. yeah. It's different this year, you're right. The guy hasn't stood by anything. Like, there's things that Hillary has flip-flopped on, like gay marriage and that. Everything she's flipped on, flipped on, Biden, I guarantee you, has flipped on. He's a much worse career politician than Hillary ever was or will be. But to be, to be fair to Biden, he's way... He's a, not being fair. <laughs> true. <laughs> Biden is a far better personality for the job than Hillary. Fuck personality. This well, look at Trump. Look at Trump. I'm saying personality matters. How you connect with people matters. Yeah, and being fake clearly gets you Trump. Biden is fake. He's a fucking politician. Oh, I know you like Obama, and I like having Obama, but he's fake too. Nah, I disagree with you there. I but think he. Nah, you you think I, every politician's fake? I, miss, I love and miss him, and I might be listening too much Ben Shapiro. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're being balanced. Yeah, I. I'll tell you what I do and don't like about Obama. I want to put it all on him because there's decades worth of fake politicians that got us Trump. But I think it's that generality that politician will speak to the people nicely and then just do them dirty behind closed doors. I don't know enough about Obamacare, but one of the biggest lies I always hear about is Obama saying you can keep your doctor. I don't know if he knew or didn't know that that wasn't going to happen. Like, don't fucking say shit if you don't know it to be true. Stop saying shit for votes. Is that not true? I've heard it countless of times, and it kind of makes sense. Like, if you're in the public option, and, like, certain doctors have, like, they can pick and choose which insurance companies they accept. Maybe, maybe his that was the intention, but what ended up being as a result of Obamacare that maybe you didn't predict that became a result of it. Right. Like I'm, I'm trying to give him benefit of doubt. Like maybe he, that was his goal. Like everyone can keep their doctor. That's just not the. But when you say that shit, make it happen. Stop trying to 
just garner votes by what you're saying besides what you're doing. I would have to look into that more, um, but I get what you're saying. I think the empty promises on both sides, what got us Trump. Yeah, America's tired of empty promises, especially coming from career politicians. Yeah, and we last two elections, we've picked our career politician to go against someone who's shit on career politicians. Do you have anything else? I'm fucking tired of the election shit. Anything else you want to say about that shit? It's going to be an interesting week, people, for anyone listening that's in the country. I don't know when the fuck we'll actually know <laughs> who our president is, but uh, good luck to everyone. Stay safe. Stay safe, man. All right, so what, what's our next topic, Ryan? What are we going to cover next? Uh, we're already in the shit zone for politics. How about the hearing with all the social media heads in um, Congress? Mm-hmm. I remember right, you didn't listen to all of it, which neither did I because it was boring as hell. But there was one um, interaction that I thought was noteworthy was between um, Ed Cruz and Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter. So Ted Cruz pretty much opened up with a good gotcha question. He had asked Jack Dorsey, Do, does Twitter have an influence on the elections? Which I thought was a pretty, like, yes, it does. No question. I thought so. <laughs> uh, Jack said no, but we have a small influence, like a, I'm going to butcher how he said this, but he's pretty much saying he's a small part of it. Like, say 10 people are influencing something, he's a one person out of that group. He's not directly influencing influencing it, but he is influencing it. It's it's him it's him basically being political where he's yeah. right like there's no question t- Twitter influences the election, but he he doesn't want to say that because of the repercussions if he said yes we influence the in- election. Right, and it's especially because um, I feel like. A lot of these social media sites do have a bias towards um, right-wing politics. You mean left-wing? Huh? Do you mean left-wing or right-wing? Right-wing. You have they have a bias against right-wing or for right-wing? Against. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. I agree with you there. Is post like if Trump posted a site and Joe Biden posted a site, both false news, I would think it's quicker for them to act on Trump than it would be Biden. So the question, going off of that, Ryan, the question I have for both of us is, how much responsibility should social media companies have on assessing or determining what is fake news and not? What should their role be? Because that's the question that comes up. I might take a weird stance on this, but I don't think they have any responsibility for that. If it's harmful, that's a different question. But I, I think if someone's stupid enough to post and read a article about how the Holocaust is fake, have at it. That's the pros and cons of the internet. 
No matter how fucked you are in the head, you'll find something that sounds right. Yeah, you ain't wrong about that. I kind of like what Facebook um, has done. I don't know if it's the only thing they do, but like when they sense a fake article, they don't take it down or block it. They just put like three articles right under the post that like one from Politico saying it like they fact check it. Like, you'll see the article, and, like, um, a footnote under it will show you everything that they have that shows it's fake. I like that, actually. I, right. Yeah. How, if perfect example is um, with the Hunter Biden shit. Um, the New York Post posted the shit about um, Hunter Biden and all that, and Twitter had not only blocked that post, but blocked New York Post from posting anymore. Like, they threw the ban hammer on them. Uh, granted, Jack Dorsey said, um, you know, they can easily get around it. We fixed it. All they have to do is delete the post, and they can repost the same post. I guess that makes sense. Like, as a person who's done social media, I get it. Like, that one post has a red flag. Just delete it. Your account is cleared. You can repost the same article, not flag. So the question is then, should, and you said no, but I think that's what people are asking is, in the era of fake news and disinformation, should social media companies make that determination? What is fake news? Because then that's even subjective, not right? What the social media site sharing your opinion. Your opinion is that the earth is flat. Bless your soul, but post what you want. God bless you and anyone else who believes this shit. I go for the same thing as free speech and, like, hate speech. I I think you should be able to say whatever the hell you want just so I know that you're a shit person. Say what you want. You, you think this group of people should be obliterated? I'll let you have your views. Maybe putting a call to the FBI to check out your emails, but have a miserable life, you piece of shit. But, but okay, but what about this, Ryan? We're all we're all subject to, and there's no question that the right gets censored more than the left. I mean, every I th- we both agree on that. But if you have a very influential person, like not everybody's always fact checking, but if you have a very influential person who shares an article that might be deemed as fake news, should their account suffer responsibility if they're sharing shit that's fake? Because based on the influence that they have, if they have 10 million Instagram followers or 10 million Twitter followers and they're posting misinformation, should there be repercussions for that? I think that resides within the, it's the company's policy. You know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, they all have their different, I don't think platforms are the right word, but like, you know, they have their different ways of um, sharing news with people. Like, you know, you go to Instagram for pictures of shit. You go to Facebook for pictures and articles. Twitter, I feel like you just get like personal thoughts and articles. Could be a bad assessment. I only really do Facebook. I'll dabble on Twitter every now and then. I'm not cute enough for Instagram. <laughs> I knew you were going to say something like that. 
I think you would do well on Instagram, but <laughs> all I got is my soothing voice. Shout out to you. Uh, <laughs> there goes all of our Jordan listeners again. <laughs> Just stop it. We're, we're going to get banned in Jordan because of you. The Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz and Jack Dorsey, that's the main interaction that I watched and found interesting. Ted Cruz was pretty much getting on him that why are you pretty much dragging Jack Dorsey of how he's running his company and policies. I just found it very ironic that it's the Republican going after a, let's say, capitalist for shits and gigs. You know, the narrative is usually the Democrat going after the big CEO guy for running his business how he wants. Because I always thought the Republican standpoint was free market. You know, if people don't like what you do, they won't buy your goods. However, it might be that your goods are so demanding that you can't live your normal life without it. So maybe it's not just a regular good. Like, maybe it is influencing an election. (laughs) Maybe the news does influence people's behavior. Maybe the, all the chemicals in our food does affect our fucking health. I don't know. I, I just thought we can't ask questions when people are making money. Hot take. Hot take, baby. It's so true, though, because, look, you have a, a Republican who's, and Ted Cruz is the definition who, hardcore Republican. Who's, Tea party. <laughs> That's a whole nother level. <laughs> yeah. Who believes, who believes that government should not interfere, especially when it comes to business, telling, as a, a government official, telling another business how they should or should not act. Everything you hardcore stand for, you're literally do, doing the opposite of because it doesn't suit your needs. Fair, I do think, oh, that's a back and forth. I do think you can make the argument that Twitter does infringe on people's First Amendment right, but to become her, you have to accept their terms and conditions. You do. Like, you're not, it's a free service that you are willfully using, and you can, if, if there is something they blocked that didn't go against their policies, you could probably get a good lawsuit out of it. They're rich enough where they wouldn't even want to bring you to court. They just give you fucking 10000 and tell you, shut the fuck up. Fuck, I'm going to start tweeting. I can use 10 grand. (laughs) (laughs) My take on it is is that I swing back and forth because there's no question that social media has has a large influence on people's day-to-day lives. So I would like to think that there should be some large responsibility these companies should make. But at the same time, I don't want the social media companies making that determination for me because... At the end of the day, it's a panel of people who are biased one way or another making that determination and controlling what information I do or I do not see. But at the same time, in the age of disinformation, the reality is is that disinformation, people aren't fact-checking themselves and their biases are very easily affirmed. So the company should take some larger responsibility. But... As you were saying, they shouldn't be blocking it, but I like I, there has to be some there has to be some compromise. Maybe 
just blocking it isn't the right answer. But no. like you were saying, like you're saying, providing a disclaimer, like this information not being completely accurate before you watch the video. That stuff I like. Right. I, YouTube gave Alex Jones the best present ever. Once they gave him the total block, he became that voice that the government doesn't want you to hear. It's exactly what the man wanted. To be the enemy of the big corporations in the government. And not only did you strengthen his current viewer's voice, you just got him a new attention for everyone else. Like we said when we were kids, there's words you can't say. When you know those words you can't say, those are the words you just feel so good saying. Second grade when I said, fuck, I never looked back. <laughs> okay, but let me play devil's advocate. Let's hear it. There's no question anybody, anybody that watches Alex Jones' content, the man is spouting so much bullshit. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. I might have listened to him for a week or two. Because I've kind of fallen back but on my stances, but I always felt there was fishiness with 9-11. Um, not going to get into it, but... He was a big guy that was saying this whole thing's a fucking inside job. And I was like, oh, all right. Someone's finally saying how it is. Boy. <laughs> I left that camp in a week or two. And mm -hmm. I, was, I was fucking mine. I get what you're saying, that he gets what he wants. But I would say that because he doesn't have that platform, there's less likelihood that the gen people from the general population get to view his platform like i don't see much of alex jones anymore like granted it it does strengthen his argument for maybe his hardcore supporters but there's less of a chance for people who aren't as strong to him to wade into his content and get sucked into his disinformation because he doesn't have this platform anymore because he doesn't have this voice on this large platform anyway do you know what i'm trying to say yeah, no, I I get you. And it kind of goes, I can make the argument for and against people being able to read Mein Kampf. I think there's a good benefit to people reading it, just to see what a crazy man's words look like. I think you should watch Alex Jones so you know how fucked in the head some of these people can be. But when, when you're giving it to the general population, you don't know what effect it's going to have on everyone else. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, that's why there's so many flat earthers out there. Yeah. And, you know, believe what you want. As long as you keep it to yourself, I don't see a problem. Just like you, like, I feel like you're making a point for some of these articles. Is like, disinformation can lead you. I mean, I can tell you for one, like, disinformation, left or right, can lead you to anger and action. I think one thing that isn't spoken about, Ryan, when we talk about disinformation is the education is our education system. Like we need to equip our kids better. Well, like for one, like we're behind on mathematics, engineering, uh, things like that. But we're we a war. <laughs> yeah, we got to We got to learn it every year, man. <laughs> yeah. 
so much but, since fifth grade for the Civil War. You're right. You ain't lying about that. Behind the rest of our world, like our, our, we, our education system needs a lot of work. But we should also be teaching our kids how to consume information. Like that should not only should be how to do your taxes, gardening, stuff like that, but teaching them about the reality of information gathering in this current world. Like we're behind on that. My joke would have been that who the hell would teach us? The fucking boomers that think that? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> You're right. That's the ironic thing, isn't it? It's the millennials that need to teach them how to fucking read an article. Yeah, you're right. It's, it should be the flip way. The, the kids should be the ones teaching the teachers. You're right. That's one of the big things I was, like, excited for watching the um, congressional hearings. It's like whenever you have the Congress, like, questioning these tech giants, like, they'll ask them a simple question. Be like, yeah, um, so all you need is an email. You put it in and you sign up and it's free. <laughs> oh my God. But when they're going in on Zuckerberg, maybe a year or two ago for the election shit, like they're just asking so many stupid questions. It's like ridiculously stupid. Dude! <laughs> like even Google, if you type that in, be like, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> Like, the first drop-down question wouldn't be, like, do you need to pay for Facebook? It would be, do you need to see a doctor, sir? All right, well, let's get the fuck off of politics and move yes. into brutality, something more fun. Mm-hmm. We talked about this earlier. Me and you had a little different take on um, Walter Wallace. Right. You know, I, I definitely agreed with you. I think you agreed with me. I'm just going to put this in a nutshell. I apologize if I miss any key details. So a family had called the police. Actually, this time, I did a little bit more reading than last time we talked. So um, this was the third time 911 was called that day for uh, Walter. Background, he's got bipolar and possibly other mental issues. Um not a death sentence. I hope everyone remembers that. And the third time, they, they didn't even call the police. They called for an uh, ambulance for him. But that police and he had the knife and acting radically. Now, where me and you um, come to a disagreement, I wouldn't even say disagreement. Just trying to, I guess you could say play devil's advocate, but... Um, I feel like as a cop, there's better things to do than to just fire on someone with a knife. I feel like I've seen videos out of Europe. Like, people thought the thing was to just keep backing up, give him space. And then if he lunges at you, you got to take action. I think they got half of that. They kept their distance, but they weren't giving them. You got someone who they already said... I don't know if it was in the, all that the cops got, but you're there. If, if they didn't get the information, that's another problem within the police department. You need to know when who you're dealing with, especially if they call for a paramedic. Or I could be wrong, but don't they send cops with paramedics for all this shit too? I wouldn't know. Okay. 
I feel like it would be a pretty regular practice to send a cop with that if you're dealing with someone, especially domestic uh, situation. Anyways, um, the video I saw was, you know, someone just acting frantically or having an episode. I couldn't really tell from the video that he had a knife, but supposedly he did. I'm a cop in that situation. I'm telling him, drop the knife, drop the knife. He, I wouldn't say long, but he makes moving towards me. I might make that shot. I don't know how many shots they did. I felt like it was overkill, but hard for me to say not ever being in that situation that you shouldn't have shot the guy. So I think the way there's a quote here from the family that kind of puts everything into perspective. So the quote from the family is the Johnson Wallace family is not calling for the police officers who fired the fatal shots to be charged with murder. Yeah, I saw it. And they said, here's why. They were improperly trained and did not have the proper equipment by which to effectuate their job. Neither of them had tasers, by the way. And to be fair to them, neither, neither of the police officers had a taser or similar device at the time of the shooting, noting that the department had previously asked for funding to equip more officers with those devices. Right. And that speaks to an overall problem of if, if police officers don't even have tasers to deal with the situation or other equipment, let me be clear, these situations should not be dealt with lethally at all. We have become used to dealing with these situations lethally. But as the family expressed, if they don't have any other training or devices to deal with the situation, you're putting them in a lose-lose situation. How else can they deal with a, with a person with a knife if they don't have a taser or something else? Rubber bullets or I don't know, anything else. That speaks to how we're asking our police officers to deal with these situations. They should not be going into these situations looking to handle them lethally. Not whatsoever. That man is unarmed. Yes, he should be dealt with accordingly but not lethally a knife can do a good amount of damage. but that's not a situation that the first situation should be dealt with lethally no no i'm like well, i feel like i've seen enough videos of crazy people with knives what the cops usually do is give them space and if the crazy guy wants to keep coming in then he gets the shot but you don't you don't for someone who's going through that fucking episode, taking away their space, you're going to get a reaction. Yes. You give them space and time to come out of it, or at least an opportunity. Definitely the opportunity, and I think that's a, a good time to use a taser. Like, that will dis more than likely uh, disarm him, and that should be the first response if he's continuing to be aggressive and threatening. Like I that, don't know how much I believe in the effectiveness of tasers. I've definitely seen it take out people, but I tased myself. 
don't know if you have it there, but my brother used to have a taser. <laughs> I'd just get drunk and be like, hey, motherfucker, who wants to get tased? It wasn't that bad. Granted, it wasn't police uh, strength, but there's also videos of, like, my favorite one is when a, this black guy's just going, like, yelling at this uh, girl, and the cop shoot him with the taser, just looks at the girl, he's like, I'll get you, bitch. He's just like, he doesn't even fall down. He's just going down. He's like, all right, the taser's going. I'm I'm good. I, it doesn't work like that on everyone. When, you, when you're in that situation of someone acting very fast and erratic, you're already coming at, like, I don't know. If, if you see me angry, like, and I'm coming at someone, I feel like if someone tased me when I'm going after someone I want to hurt. I get what you're saying, Brian. But to me, that's it speaks to, it doesn't just speak to this situation. If our first response to any situation that might be a threat is responding with a lethal measure, just like how in Chicago there was the example of Jamel Robertson, a former basketball teammate of mine, who got shot because the police misidentified him as being the shooter because they arrived on scene with their first intention using lethal force without knowing the situation, that is, you're going to get that kind of accidental result of a lethal response or a death more likely than not. Because like a 911 report, like if I'm calling in inside a bar saying there's a shooting going on, how, how are you expecting the cops to know the situation if the dispatcher or even a person giving the report doesn't know the exact situation? They just know gunshots. Mm -hmm. That's there. Whatever you believe, like I think for the general uh, majority of cops, when they get there, they're trying to save people. And it, like your adrenaline is, you know, there's shots fired, people dying. You got to take action. You see someone with a gun, you should have had better training in that part, but you acted. I'm not saying it should have happened. I'm just saying, like, no system of policing I think we'll ever come up with is perfect. I think we'll always have innocent people dying by police hands and police dying from people. Like, there's. It's gonna be fucked. Just a matter of coming to compromise between the cops and the people. We gotta come to an agreement. Like, you know, cops gotta be like, all right, I when I pull you over, I can be respectful, but you just have to like, you gotta come to the agreement that when I say hands on the steering wheel, the hands go on the steering wheel because it's my life that depends on that. Okay, but how many videos have you seen, Ryan, of the police going way overboard on... Plenty, and I've seen plenty on the other side. True. That's why I'm saying they, people and police have to come to an agreement. Like, I'm not going to fucking come up on you when you're trying to do your investigation and instigate something that I don't know anything about. <laughs> and you're not going to come up on me not knowing anything you don't know about and arrest me for jaywalk. But but to bring it back to the the Wallace shooting, the police the police knew they were dealing with an unarmed suspect, meaning someone that's without 
a firearm who was having a mentally ill episode. No. A, I, I don't consider a knife being unarmed whatsoever. I, there's a massive difference between holding a knife and a firearm. And your response should be 100% different between someone wielding a knife and someone wielding a, a gun. It should yeah. be 100% difference. The lethality is up there. If they're, if they're making moves towards you, I, like I said, I think you should move back, which I don't think they really did. I, I feel like they had their stance, like their distance, and then once he made moves towards them, they lit him up. I, I could be wrong, but I thought like, it could be different, too, because there were multiple people there. Like, it wasn't just the officers and that guy there. Like, there were other people there that he could have harmed. So if that guy had stabbed a bystander, the cop's going to be in shit anyway. Back to training. And they spoke about this, like, there, is there no less lethal action available for police either than shooting a gun? Yeah, there is. That's what I mean. I think that's a good investment to make. Fuck. There's medieval fucking weapons you can use. Just get a lasso and a rope. <laughs> Cowboys did it. <laughs> Take them to town. And, and look... It's asking a lot for police to, if they don't have a tool available to them, and that's why I liked what the family said, is that it, they don't want the police charged because they didn't have any other tools. Like, I get that. The police did not have any other tools. Granted, maybe they could have handled it a little bit differently, but we're not given, if we're not even given police the option to use less lethal action to take first... Like, we need a better remedy for somebody who's mentally ill with a knife. We need to have less lethal action, whether that's mace, tear gas, rubber bullets, uh, fucking taser. I don't know. I'm not an expert on less lethal action, but there's no. plenty of shit out there. That's the thing. I, I feel like you can find – I feel like they go to le the lethal force because you know the result. When you go to these non-lethal ones, like Taser, you don't know if they can fight it off. A rubber bullet, if they're on PCP, that shit won't phase them. Like, that shit won't phase them. Like, it's if you're, I don't know, it's it's hard. Like, it's not hard. I know, I'm just, I'm taking a hard stand. It's not hard. Yes, Taser is ass. If it doesn't work, you take the next option. If, if that doesn't work, you go to the next option. How do you have that, if... If you're tasing someone that's charging at you with a knife, if the taser didn't work, it's kind of like the classic video games. You got your hit, now they get theirs. You're telling me if I if shoot... coming at me with a knife, I'm not going to be so nice to be like, all right, I'm going to tase you first. If you don't act right, I'm going to shoot you then. If you're coming at me with a knife, you're happy if... You should be happy if I don't put it between your fucking eyes. Okay, then fuck it. Let's just start shooting everybody. No, no, that's... It shouldn't be one. <laughs> okay, then let's just start shooting everybody with a knife. Every, every situation, all the time, we should just kill people. I, he's charging at me with a knife. I have my full right to put that between his fucking eyes. No, you don't. Damn my ground. That's what I'm saying. Then, what the... 
how do you defend yourself then? Like if so, if, I'm I'm taking the cop thing out of the equation right now. I'm saying if someone's coming at you with a knife, you can only come back at them with a knife, or are you not allowed to have a gun? There are I'm yes, not your first response shouldn't be your first response shouldn't be. It should be away from him. Ryan, Ryan, you're literally saying that any mentally ill person that's charging something with a knife should be executed. That's exactly what you're saying. Not exactly. Yes, it is. Because you're saying the call, the response to a mentally ill person charging somebody with a knife should be lethal. It shouldn't be, but what choice did the cop have? The, you're right. I'm agreeing with you. The, the cops did not have any other tools, but what tools would you suggest that would work is my main thing. Like, you, like depending on the person, all these like alternative non-lethal choices, I can see not working. But a gun, you know, is going to save your life. So when you're in that situation, someone charging at you with a knife, do you take the chance for their sake to save their life or do you take the chance just to save your own life? To me, that demonstrates America's how we've normalized responses to to those kind. Like, I don't see Europe ever having a problem uh, when. Do they have a crime rate as ours? I don't know, but like, do are there cities like fucking war zones, like thirty shootings in fucking two days, like Chicago? We're we're touching on different issues. But what I'm what I'm saying is, okay, right. Outside of the inner cities, I I think this would be much more egregious. How how is why is Dylan Roof getting apprehended? A guy Ma a head. How how are mass mass murderers getting apprehended without getting lethally shot? But a guy wielding a knife cannot be apprehended without being shot. Dylan Roof charge at a cop with a gun. Really upset that I just defended Dylan Roof. The motherfucker should be dead, but instead they brought the guy out for Burger King. That's what I'm saying. You can see why people would get mad, why the family would be upset. I'm I'm not saying don't be upset. I'm just trying to say like look look at both sides. Like and I think the family did just that. I'm not bashing on the family. I'm just trying to say, like, you know, I hate to be that, like, take that staunch Republican view, but, like, you've got to be accountable for the actions you have, and it's a little different when you have those mental issues. But, like, if I love my cousin Mitchell. He, I hate to say it on there, but mom did drugs when he was a baby. And, like, well, she was pregnant. Oh, he's got his issue. I will defend him no matter what. But, like, if the guy went on a killing spree, like, I'm sorry, Mitchell, you got to go. But but there's a difference between going on a killing spree and him having an episode in the middle of the street while having while wielding a knife. Right. And and that's what I'm saying is I get I get what you're saying, but in in. In other, the way police handle these situations elsewhere around the world, in Europe, the UK, in Poland, when someone's wielding a knife, 
They handle these situations differently. They use less lethal methods. Now, I get what you're saying. I said I think I started this argument off with the point that I feel like I've seen videos out of Europe where they deal with people with knives. They give them the space. Like, they try and calm them down. Just feel like when you're in, like, the inner city, like, Philly, and you got crowds of people, you can always say, like, you need more training, but, like, at what point does training take out your human instinct? Like, you got so much shit going on, trying to protect yourself, but you're trying to protect all the people that that guy's around. Like, there, there was crowds in the street when he was doing this shit. Like, you have so much shit at stake, and you only had one tool. And this is, this is where I'll side with you, and we've talked about this on another podcast, where the mentality of police in the States is different for a reason. Why? Because there's so many guns in the United States, especially in inner cities, anybody can fucking kill you in any situation, because you don't know who has a gun. And therefore, you're going to be more aggressive, and rightfully so. Police in the UK and police in France, they don't have to worry about guns on random people as much as police in the United States do. And they have every right to be more aggressive because it's their life on the line. It's their family's life on the line. So I get why police are more aggressive in the States than in Europe, because Europe does not have a guns problem. So there is that aspect of why police are more aggressive, because if you're dealing with that shit every day, the potential of somebody having a gun every single day, like you're just going to be naturally more aggressive. We want to talk mental issues. How many of these cops do you think have PTSD? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's crazy on all sides, man. That's the thing is that this shit's deep. It's not just, it's not just how people want to make this. It's just bad cops and good cops. It's not, or no, what small part of this argument you want to take it always, you have to pull shit from different parts of the problem. Like court, yes. court society, police, it, everything is related to this. It is. It is. All right. Well, we got the in an hour. So we're closing <laughs> this up. So All right, have, come on. I, fuck it. We're on a jackass roll right now. My jackass. What, is, what about what about what about my uh ah amputees <laughs> god dick all right you lost your leg <laughs> <laughs> all right so the last we won't spend too much time on this um but one thing i wanted to highlight for this uh podcast is and i'll put the link into the description for everybody to read but there was a great article that a journalist wrote on ProPublica about a epidemic happening in the United States about uh, African Americans receiving a disproportionately high rate of amput or amputations, uh, especially related to things like diabetes. I really would highly encourage everybody to read it, uh, but I wanted to highlight it because it hasn't. I feel like it should be in the news. But it highlights two important things that we always hear about in the United States, but there's not always a lot of concrete conversation about. The two things being systematic racism and the disproportionate way it affects African Americans. And this highlights both of those, how systematic racism 
still exists and how it affects African Americans disproportionately in this instance specifically health wise. Uh, so I'm going to read read a couple points from the article. In quotes, nobody knew it in January, but within months, the new coronavirus would sweep the United States, killing tens of thousands of people, a disproportionately high number of them black and diabetic. They were at a disadvantage, put at risk by an array of factors, from unequal health care access to racist biases to cuts in public health funding. These elements have long driven disparities, particularly across the South. One of the clearest ways to see them is by tracking who suffers diabetic amputations, which are, by one, mes one measure, the most preventable surgery in the country. Looking closely enough, and those seemingly intractable barriers are made up of crucial decisions which layer onto one another. A panel of experts decides to not endorse screening for vascular disease in the legs, so the law allows insurance providers not to cover these tests. The federal government forgives the student loans of some doctors in undeserved areas, but not certain specialists. So the phys physicians most critical to treating diabetic complications are in short, short supply, specifically in the South. Policies written by hospitals, insurers, and governments don't require surgeons to consider limb-saving options before applying a blade. Amputations increase, particularly among the poor. Despite the great scientific strides in diabetes care, the rate of amputations across the country grew by 50% between 2009 and 2015. Diabetics undergo 130,000 amputations each year often in low-income and underinsured neighborhoods. Black patients lose limbs at a rate triple that of others. It is the cardinal sin of the American health system in the single surgery, save on preventative care, pay big on the back end, and let the chronically sick and underprivileged feel the extreme consequences. I think uh, it really, basically the article talks about how black Americans receive amputations on their legs at a far higher rate than any other group of people because for, for certain things like they don't receive those vascular, they don't get those screenings for vascular disease. Instead, because of hospital policy or money, the first decision or recommendation by a specialist is just to get an amputation because it uh, saves costs for the hospital or for the doctor. And that's a really fucked up way of looking at it, you know? I feel like it was this podcast you said money does. Oh shit. Uh oh. One second, that was a big ass fucking I heard it. Apparently it was lightning, but it didn't sound like lightning. <laughs> Did we call that thunder in this state? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not even, oh yeah, actually, to be fair, I'm seeing a lot of thunder at the moment and lightning. Yeah, I was like, oh shit, we got a, you know. <laughs> I know, no shit, dude, that's what I thought, because that was, that did not sound like a fucking lightning strike. No, I, I, well, it did, but I was like, uh, Middle East, what's more common? <laughs> <laughs> the article highlights systematic racism in the United States, that pe black people don't get the same health care as other people. Like, that, that's, not, that's not what should be diabetes.
be their fucking first recommendation is getting their leg chopped off because they don't have good blood flow or they're having problems with their legs. I mean, people getting their legs amputated at 47 should not be happening, but that happens in the South. It's, I understand um, you, you said both it's a systematic racist um, whatever and then it's more for poor people. Is it the fact that there might be more poor people that are black or maybe um i don't know what exactly health-wise they're more prone to but i feel like when corona was first coming out there's um Americans have more of a predisposition to be affected by this could it have could it be a mixture of like you know treating the poor bad and african americans in a short straw for having a um, not good of a means to fight off the infection or whatever. Right. I mean, to be fair, the statistics that they said were before coronavirus happened. But you're right to highlight that, especially in the South, especially in the South, like African-Americans are far poorer in the South, disproportionately higher in the South. And... And they're also a lot less healthy. Like the diabetes rate amongst African-Americans are a lot higher than other groups, which the article talked about. And when they say they have less access to health care, they're often, often more, more often than not, not insured or don't have insurance. So part of what the article is talking about is these hospitals know that. And so they're taking shortcuts they don't want to provide these screenings because they don't, they're afraid or they don't it's want to take dollars of screening. Exactly. They don't want to take on those costs. Right. So I, uh, that's, and I, like, maybe it's, it definitely looks like systematic racism, but maybe it's just classism. And, and I think that's where I would say, Looking at the history of South, why why are African American communities in the South, but even in the entire United States, disproportionately more poor than other groups? And then therefore, I'm not saying I'm not saying the hospitals are racist uh, specifically, but that's what I think people mean by systematic racism is that we have this system in place that's existed for a long time, where the, the, the doctor isn't saying, I'm chopping your leg off because you're black. No, he's, he's saying, well, he's taking, he's taking shortcuts. There isn't as much access to health care. Why? Well, black people are more poor. They might not have health insurance. Why is that? You know? Um, the doctor, I'm just going to read one more quote here. Um, the article followed uh, the, a, a physician, an, uh, a physician that was born in Nigeria. He said, by the time... Thackeray moved to Delta in 2015. The station, the state, uh, which this article, one of the, the article did a lot of coverage on, I believe it was in Mississippi, the state had the nation's lowest number of physicians per capita. It had not expanded Medicaid to include the working poor. Across the country, 15% of African Americans were still uninsured compared with 9% of white Americans. 
That year, Jennifer Smith, a professor at Florida A&M University College of Law, wrote in the National Lawyers Guild Review, while the roots of unequal and inequitable health care for African Americans date back to the days of slavery, the modern mechanism of dis discrimination in health care has shifted from legally sanctioned segregation to inferior or non-existent medical facilities due to market forces. Nationwide, more than half of patients do not get an angiogram for, before amputation, which is the, the screening which we just discussed. In the Delta, Thacker had found that the vast majority of the amputees he treated never even had one screening. It's just hospitals cutting, trying to cut costs, cutting corners because they don't, yeah. they're not going to get paid. So I, I just wanted to highlight that for this week. No, I, like any listeners, I think I'm trying to be apologetic to the racist in America. I'm not. I just like the, I don't like throwing the racist label on shit that isn't because you can't fix something if you're misdiagnosing. Absolutely. And there's no question we're throwing that term. Um, we throw that term and it doesn't find a solution because we're using that term. You're right. It is a classism issue as well. It's not just racism. It's a classism issue. And when we say classism, I think it more properly identifies what's going on. It's African-Americans being poor or disproportionately poor. Um, therefore not getting that access to healthcare that they should be getting. And it's hospitals cutting costs. Why? For a variety of reasons. And I think that's what Obamacare was trying to solve at some point, which we talked about earlier, is if, every, if people have health insurance, it's better for everybody. It's better for the hospitals. It's better for the individuals. Because if I'm uninsured, like the hospital's looking at this, well, I'm going to have to end up paying for this. Yeah. Right? Right, that's exactly like our healthcare is fucked here. You shouldn't have to be a millionaire to be able to pay your own hospital bill. Right. Everybody, go check that article. Um, but anyway, this episode's getting long as shit. We're having good discussion today. Yeah, we are. We got heated today. I love it. <laughs> who's the Who's the jackass of the week? All right. Well. Since you're all the way over in Jordan and you can't watch any good movies, um, you may not understand this, but I'll explain it. We got uh, Rudy Giuliani for Jackass of the Week. Rudy Giuliani! You hey. suck, you jackass. <laughs> um, anyways, I, I got excited for this movie back in maybe August. I think I sent you the video of... Sasha Baron Cohen singing the Wuhan flu at one of the Republican conventions. One of their rallies. I did not see this, but okay. Oh, it, it was in the movie. It, if I showed you the um, Showtime uh, show, uh, Who is America? Yes. Okay. So it's, I wish Borat 2 was more like that. Kind of like Borat 1. You know, there's parts in there where, like, you're like, all right, this was, like, the movie part where it's fake. They're not actually pranking people. The reason I love Who is America is it's straight up pranks. Like, fucking with people. Like, real hardcore, very well thought out pranks. And he got Giuliani pretty good. Okay, so what happened? So, he, um, 
basis of the Borat story and number two was that uh, Borat was bringing um, his daughter to become a present to uh, Premier Michael Pence. <laughs> um, and I didn't even know this, but he broke into the RNC and like he's he dressed up as Trump carrying his fake daughter around. He's like, I have your present, Michael Pence. I've never seen the video until Borat 2. <laughs> like, this guy's crazy, man. Oh, man. He's my hero. He should be the beacon of the week. <laughs> um, anyways, it goes on. You know, it's pretty good. I like Borat 1 more. Um, who is America? Hands down the best work he's done. Um, so he sets up an interview with Rudy Giuliani and the, um, he's actually like 24 years old, but in the movie, she's playing a 15 year old background. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen was actually hiding in the closet of the hotel room they had set up for the interview. They had like a, I forgot how they explained it in the article I was reading it, but it was like a hideaway part in the closet that you could lock from the inside. And, like, Julian, like, they had mentioned this um, because, like, the girl, her and um, Sasha Baron Cohen were in an interview, and she's like, yeah, that's probably the most nervous part of um, the whole movie was when I was doing the interview with Julian. They didn't know Sasha was in there, and it was just her and Giuliani with Giuliani's security outside the door, making sure no one was her out. Wow. Yeah, and it kind of plays into how it ends. Um, so, like, they're talking. Borat keeps coming in, interrupting. Like, he, he probably didn't even notice that that's not the actual, like, boom guy. He just came out of the closet. <laughs> um, like, forgot what they're talking about. They end up saying, like, yeah, let's go finish this in the hotel, in the room, in the bedroom. Um, so she starts uh, taking off his mic. And, like, you know how the mic goes, like, up and down? So he's just in the bed, like, laying down, and he's just got his hands in his pants. Uh, maybe it's a bad pattern in the pants, but there was a... Insert... <laughs> there was a... Um, there's something poking up in his pants, whether it was just bad. So, yeah. And, like, right as, um, like, you know, I wish Sasha let it go on a little bit more, get, like, you know, make sure that, like, Giuliani's um, defense was that he was fixing his pants after taking the mic out. Sure, of course. Yeah. Yeah. You can make the argument for it. Because it didn't go long enough. Right. That's why I said I wish they let him go a little bit longer, get him, like, Dirty in the act. Um, <laughs> no, Borat just comes back out in like a mankini. He's like, no, no, have sex with me. My back pussy much better. <laughs> what did Giuliani freak the fuck out? <laughs> and I remember reading about something like this in July. And um, let's see if I do still have it. Uh, Giuliani had called the cops on him that day. Like, right. <laughs> and he's, um, 
Thorn barged onto the set screaming hysterically while wearing a multicolored bikini in a mesh sash. <laughs> Dude. Keanu claimed he was unfooled. Oh, like, of course. Yeah, okay, bud. Can I be fair to Giuliani? Yes. How many of us could potentially be in that same situation? I think about that all the time. Like, it's a big thing that I noticed in Borat, too, is, like, you know, all these people he's tricking, like, at what point, no way they don't see the fucking camera crew there. They know they're doing the, these interactions in, in front of a camera. At what point are they being paid to let this foreign uh, journalist uh, asking questions? And what point are they just be like, oh, cameras? Sure. Like, you know, like I said, money affects every, like, I don't yeah. know. Authenticity for me gets a little weary. It does a little bit, especially in this day and age, you know? Yeah, I mean, but like with Cruz America, I can, I can easily see the genius behind it. Same with someone at Borat, too. Like if if I run an antique store and someone offers me 20 grand for someone to come in, do interviews, and possibly break some shit, fuck, I got maybe 10 grand worth of goods in there. Have at it. Fair. You don't know what you're, like, it's only a matter of Sasha getting you to answer one question that makes you, like, a, look like a fucking idiot. Right, right. Well, shout out to Giuliani. For getting, for getting duped. Sasha's definitely done better work, but, you know, I, I had, unfortunately, I had higher expectations for Borat, too. You were overall disappointed, or? No. I was unimpressed, because I, Who is America just set such a high bar. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone loves that show as much as I do. Fair enough. I think I might be the only one that's actually bought it. I own it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, fuck you, Showtime. I'm not doing your subscription. I'm buying the goddamn show. Right. Who do you got for Beacon of the Week? So, you know, in Beacon of the Week, we always try to highlight somebody that might not get the spotlight. Why haven't I gotten it, then? Nah, you're fucking... You're fucking... I don't I mean, know what you Week. Yeah? Yeah, you and Paul. Where's my shout-out? For Beacon of the Week? No, I made you Jackass of the Week. Yeah, well, fuck you for doing that. I'm not giving you... Beacon of the Week is positive. I'm not giving you a positive award. It would be positive if it wasn't come from you. Oh. Fuck you. Who wants a Polish commies... I'm trying to think of better insults without uh, insulting all of our viewers. <laughs> <laughs> You've already isolated our Jordanian viewers. Why not add another group? All right, fine. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Quit while you're ahead, Brian. <laughs> Keep drinking that Jack. We'll get it out of you. We'll stick with the Polish commie. All right. So, our beacon of the week this week uh, is going to be 
her name is Pushpa Basnet. Uh, Pushpa Basnet won the CNN Hero of the Year in 2011. So check this out, man. This is an inspiration. Uh, this is a very what? I discarded. Go on. <laughs> should I? Should we keep that in? Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, Pushpa Basnet, man, amazing story. I'll put the link to her organization in the description. So um, in 2005, Pushpa Basnet, uh, at the age of 21, found the Early Childhood Development Center, a registered non-government organization that aims at providing a homely environment for children living in prison with their parents. Uh, this also means rescuing the children from serving their parents' sentences and helping them enjoy their fundamental rights, such as food, clothes, shelter, and education. They're one of the few organizations that works for the welfare of prisoners in Nepal, and there are hardly any projects working on this issue. Um, you know, it's a really in inspirational story. Um, I'm going to continue on here that uh, she works a lot with these kids who serve these uh, sentences with their parents, um, who children accompany their parents when they're spending time behind bars or in prison. And that's what her organization strives to do is give them help with this. But in 2015, the grant money she received from CNN uh, was destroyed in that earthquake that happened like five years ago. Um, and so she's, she actually became homeless along with the children. And they were forced to seek refuge in fields and makeshift tents. Uh, but she's continued to work, work hard um, and work with these kids. Um, and this is what I'm talking about, man. Like this, this woman does not get enough recognition for the type of work she's doing. Cause it's, it seems that it's an issue in Nepal. I'm not an expert on this, that when parents are sent to prison, that their children have to accompany them because there aren't any, they're just going to be homeless in the street. Right. No social programs or any of that. Right. Um, so it's, I would highly encourage everybody to check it out. Um, donate to her, donate to her organization if you can. But you know, we try to highlight on this podcast people we might not hear about, and that's a very like inspirational project to take on, especially at 21. Like, shit. Shout out to her for that. I wish we were big enough to get a GoFundMe going for her. Hey, man, you know, that's what we're striving to be, bigger platform. I'm listening right now. If you don't share this goddamn podcast, you're making them all orphans. <laughs> hey, man, that's what that's what's going to be different about our podcast, right? Like, we're, we're going to be talking about these stories and interviewing these kinds of people that are making a difference. Like, that's what I wish about Joe Rogan sometimes is that I feel I wish he interviewed more people who are actually making a difference in communities. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I I I don't want to shit on the people he interviews because I think what he does is better than ninety nine percent. Yeah. Anyone. Yeah. Um. You. It's sad that you have to go to Joe Rogan for election time thoughts. I, it's true. I, 
I I know the question. I don't know. I I feel like I can't be a Joe Rogan because, like, he even says it like, I don't know shit. I just know what I want to know and the questions I want to ask. It's exactly how I am. I know I don't know the full picture. I have the question to ask to give myself and anyone else that's listening a better picture of it. Definitely. And that's what we're striving for on this podcast, right? But, yeah. I'd say he, yeah, he goes with more of the big name people. Granted, a lot. There's a good majority of people on there that I never fucking heard of. And those are some of the best damn episodes. For sure. I agree. Yes. But I, but it would be nice. Like, like I said, I totally agree with you. What he's doing is better than pretty much everybody out there. But, and I think that's why like on this, on these podcasts, it'd be nice to highlight more of the positive things happening out there. Like he, yes, he interviews a lot of people I've never heard of that are doing great things as well. I'm not trying to shit on them, but also like we're, we're going to strive to also be an international podcast, right? Where we're, we're trying to, I feel like Joe Rogan is much as people want to make him political. The man isn't political. He just says what he believes. It's the opposite of politics. <laughs> the polar opposite of politics is telling it how it is. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, that's a back and forth on that. But anyway, shout out to Pushpa Bassnet. Check out her organization. Donate. And shout out to her, man. She's the beacon of the week. She deserves it. For what? sure. But next yeah, week, on it. Nah, fuck you. Okay. Unless, unless, unless you strive to be the jackass of the week. Next <laughs> week, go to Ryan for forgetting that he called off work yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> the people's champ. <laughs> What do you mean I don't work? <laughs> oh, I call off at nine. Yeah, I was kind of drunk at that time. I might have called off. This this your real job anyway, the podcast. If, <laughs> uh, not that Jeff Bezos would ever listen to this, but fuck Amazon. I can't wait till you find a new job. Am I supposed to edit that out or keep it? Keep it. All right. Well, I don't want right. you getting in trouble. If all of Amazon CEO has to listen to it to get me fired, that's 10 more views. <laughs> <laughs> How's your drink? It just fired me, but you got me five cents. <laughs> yeah, big fucking money. That should be our new theme song. We should make a big fucking money theme song. Me, you, and Johnny. Black Mamba. Black Mamba. <laughs> big fucking money. Big, big fucking money. Big fucking money. Big, big fucking money. That's a hit right there. <laughs> Shout out to Mark for being the dumb bitch. 
<laughs> shout out. And shout out to him being the only listener that listens all the way through. No, he doesn't. You know how long he listens? Until Caitlin tells him not to. <laughs> Mark, if you, if you listen to the end of this podcast, I want you to type into our group chat, Ryan is the people's champ. Then I'll know you're a real one. And that Lane Tech is better than Whitney Young. <laughs> you're a real one. Otherwise, you're not a true fan. All right. Well, I think we just about wrapped it all up. We got our fuck Mark out there. We talked about the election. Twitter. Unfortunately, a Philly protest. Not so much a protest, but just the shit that led up to it. Yeah. And um, we talked about um, you not having a leg anymore because you got it amputated. And to our listeners out there, we've got uh, three interviews coming up. We've got an uh, interview with uh, Anya next Friday uh, that will talk about the Polish protests happening in Poland and talking about women's rights there. We've got an interview coming up with... Uh, um, yeah, the next one, I'm definitely very interested in the next interview because I like to think of myself as very in tune with the news and I had no clue what was going on in Poland until Julian told me who we were doing the interview with and for what. Right. It, it will definitely be an interesting interview. Uh, I definitely have some good questions. If you know me at all, I got some good questions that I don't want to, you know, be an asshole, but I like to ask good questions that are, you know, I don't know. <laughs> hey, I mean, it's fair. We we want to dig a little bit deeper, right? Understand exactly. the full picture. Exactly. And and that I think you know that'll be an interesting. Come to the other side and think. Yeah. If I know what side you're on, I'm going to make you consider the other. As much as I might hate that side, I'm going to make you think because that's how you grow. 100%, man. That's the truth. That's some wisdom right there. We've also got an interview upcoming two weeks from now with a professor of theology discussing. He was next. I wasn't going to leave him off. <laughs> I was going to let you finish him. I was like, no. <laughs> Fucking keep drinking your drink. Uh, we've got an interview coming up with Dr. Carney about Catholic social teaching and Catholicism in Uganda based on his new book. And then we've also got Alex Mueller, a fellow Mayfair Park native, uh, who will be joining us. Mayfair Park. North Mayfair Park. Uh, you right. You right. You right. My bad. Ooh. My bad. My bad. Park, motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> nah. We don't fuck with Gompers Park like I that. Oh, there, but I'll never live there. <laughs> <laughs> right? Is this your third drink? Fourth. Are we getting a bathroom, bathtub special after your fourth? We might. Maybe. The Bears game is on in 40 minutes. Who so they playing? Drink and some food they cook. So maybe I'll talk to you in like 10 hours. Who they playing? I have no fucking clue. Alexa, who are the Bears play today? Oh, the Saints. Oh, okay. We'll go I, Bears. 
I might. I think they're like four and one, five and one. They've got a good record, yeah. I we might have the same record. Wait, we lost twice now. No, we lost once. I can't fucking remember. It's been a while since we had a winning season. Well, let's end the podcast. Thank you for all your support. Stay tuned for the good interviews. We're out. We're outy. Tell something everybody don't know about me. This is a public service announcement for all social media scientists. Your thoughts on the pandemic have been incredibly helpful. And honestly, I wouldn't have survived this long without your opinions on the situation. Thank you for your support and cooperation. Please follow all the necessary guidelines. Go fuck yourself. Tell me what happened to society. Glorify memes and dumb notoriety. Social media piety. Basket negativity righteously. Oh.